Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D-Crom. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host, David Cromelo. And well, this is it. In just six days, the 2017 NFL season will culminate in Super Bowl 52 from Minneapolis between the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots. This is a week to not only anticipate this fascinating matchup of the century's NFL dynasty against a promising insurgent, but to celebrate this game of football that we all love. And joining us once again to discuss all things Super Bowl 52 and not just the game is our good friend Hal Bent, who covers the NFL and Patriots for FullPressCoverage.com. What's up, Hal? Great to have you back yet again. Great to be back, David. Glad to hear you're back from the Senior Bowl and you had a great time. That was uh, an exciting, exciting week for you. Oh, my God. Talk about one of the most exciting weeks you will ever spend in your life. And I'm not kidding. It was just a pleasure meeting everybody from around the NFL, from reporters to coaches, scouts, and this next crop of players, including uh, one guy who I interviewed twice, uh, Will Hernandez, a guard from UTEP. Uh, watch out for him to be drafted in the top 15 to 20 on April 26th. It's going to be fun these next several months after Super Bowl 52. So the ride uh, might conclude for 2017, but 2018 is just about to start with a bang. Excellent, excellent. And we still got the Super Bowl this week, and we're super excited to, to see this matchup. And uh, two great teams, the two teams with the most wins, ended up in the Super Bowl, the two number one seeds. How often does that happen? It happens pretty regularly these days. But before we talk about the game, let's talk about the other event that's highly anticipated Super Bowl week, and that is the election of the next class to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. On Saturday, the day before the Super Bowl, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Board of Selectors, a committee of 46 NFL writers and historians, will gather in a room that will be locked up to the public, dare I say, to choose from 15 modern era nominees plus two senior nominees and one contributor to represent the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2018. And this year, it is a very fascinating class. You got first-timers that we grew up watching, Ray Lewis, the big one. Brian Urlacher, Randy Moss, and you also got Brian Dawkins, Tony Baselli, Isaac Bruce, Steve Hutchinson, another first-timer, Edron James, Ty Law, Everson Walls, a very interesting candidate in the room, Kevin Mawai, longtime center for the Jets, uh, Alan Fanica, uh, forgive me if I already mentioned him, but uh, Terrell Owens, you get the picture. It is a very, very good class of modern era finalists to choose from, and I do not envy the job of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Board of Selectors. They have a very difficult task on Saturday. But if you were on the Pro Football Hall of Fame Board of Selectors, which five of these modern era nominees would you vote for and why? Um, well, I think Ray Lewis is the, the biggest slam dunk in that group. Um, Lewis basically was the most dominant defensive player at his position for over a decade. You couldn't ask for more. Uh, he's got the stats. He's got the longevity. He's got the, the personality. He had that attention that just, you know, when you say fame, Ray Lewis was famous. Everybody knew who he was the second he stepped on the field. And he's got the, the jewelry as well, the Super Bowl ring. So Ray Lewis is the easy number one, and he should be a slam dunk. Um, I would say Randy Moss and Terrell Owens, again, two of the best wide receivers. Re, you know, Randy Moss was a, a freak of nature, and there's a lot of people that'll say, well, you know, he didn't play 100% at times in Oakland, uh, Minnesota. He had a horrible end of his career in New England. But you can't take away the dominance at their position that those two players had, two totally different wide receivers. Both put up the stats, 
both put in the time. Both were the two of the best at their position. And despite all the crazy passing stats that have, have come since that time, and there's wide receivers in the league now who are going to blow past both of them, just like they blew past their predecessors as well. For their time, those two have to go into the Hall of Fame, I think, right there in Moss and Owens. After that, it gets really, really tough. I'm partial to the guys in the, the trenches. I think Tony Baselli is a, a slam dunk Hall of Famer at tackle. I think Alan Fanica was probably the best guard of his generation. Um, you know, And, of course, you look at Joe Jacoby, who was just a monster for all those Washington offensive fronts. And, you know, Kevin Maui at, at center for all those years for the Jets, an, another very deserving. But I'm going to put Baselli and Fanica at the top of that list there for those two in the trenches. And, you know, I hate to be like everyone else and, you know, not put enough tension into the secondary because the secondary, especially the safety position, needs more Hall of Famers. It's an overlooked position. And really any of these finalists, Ty Law, John Lynch, Everson Walls, they're all worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. Brian Dawkins, my gosh, you know, there's another one that was redefined that position. So a tough choice. I'm going to go in the trenches with Baselli and Fanica for my five. I agree with the vast majority of what you said. The people I would vote in automatically are obviously Ray Lewis, and I would definitely get Randy Moss and Terrell Owens in this year. I We cannot afford this log jam, or the Hall cannot afford this log jam at receiver. They have to get Randy Moss and Terrell Owens in right now to make way for Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, and guys like Reggie Wayne and uh, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, especially if he walks away this year in the years ahead. Um the, so the receiver log jam has to end there. And Alan Fanica was one of my choices for the final two spots. Uh, you said best guard of his iteration. And overall, this is a, the biggest number for him. Six-time first-team All-Pro. And I'm sure um, you know and to all of our listeners that don't know, this is very important. All-Pro honors matter much more in Pro Football Hall of Fame selection than Pro Bowl honors. And Fanica made first-team All-Pro six times. Uh, it is his time to get in. Two years waiting is enough, especially the guard position becoming even more important in this day and age in the NFL where you got guys like J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, plus a lot of monsters scheduled to come in. Uh, to the league in 2019 that are defensive tackles that can not only stop the run but rush the passer. You need guys to block them. Fanica was one of the first to show you how to get it done in the modern age. So Fanica is uh, definitely on my list. And I agree about Tony Baselli. You saw with Terrell Davis last year, I was so pleased, not just as a Broncos fan, but as a fan of football in general, that the Hall kind of um, backtracked this, what I call, longevity bias. That meaning that they um, prioritized longevity over greatness. And just like Terrell Davis, Tony Baselli didn't have the longest career, but he was the best at his position throughout that short career. Just like Terrell Davis was, Baselli should absolutely be in the conversation this year. And, and if he doesn't get it this year, I will be banging the table even louder for him next year. But it, it's very difficult once you get after Fanica because you got Brian Erlacher. Uh, he might not have been as successful as Ray Lewis was in his career, especially in terms of Super Bowls and uh, consistency. But uh, Erlacher was pretty consistent himself that he was, along with Ray Lewis and Derek Brooks, 
the three best linebackers of that era and the three pioneers of the 21st century middle linebacker position. Brian Erlacher absolutely deserves first ballot consideration. And if he doesn't get it this year, he should definitely go in next year with Tony Gonzalez and Champ Bailey, in my opinion. And you mentioned Kevin Mawai, one of the best centers of all time. And I totally agree about the safety positions. John Lynch is so deserving. Brian Dawkins is deserving. Everson Walls has a case. And I met Steve Atwater this past week in Mobile. Steve now works for the Broncos media team. Steve Atwater is another one of those safeties that deserves consideration the year ahead. The Pro Football Hall of Fame needs more safeties. That's why after Fanica, I have a hard time choosing between like John Lynch, Brian Urlacher, Tony Vaselli. It's a tie for me right now. Um, since uh, there's only uh, one defender on that list, Ray Lewis, I would it would probably come down to Erlacher or John Lynch. But since I believe, uh, I think Erlacher can stand to wait another year. He'll definitely get in next year if he doesn't get in this year. Uh, I would go John Lynch and finally um, get those three big Buccaneers in the Hall of Fame together. Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, and John Lynch were the big wall of Tampa in the early late 90s, early 2000s. It's time to get the third and arguably most important uh, now, you, you could say he was most important given the emphasis on pass coverage these days, but uh, that's up for debate. Uh, but uh, Brooks and Sapp needed a guy like Lynch to to have their back when they couldn't get home, and they need Lynch in the Hall of Fame with them. So my five, in conclusion, Ray Lewis, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Alan Fanica, John Lynch. Can't argue with Lynch. Um, you know, like I said, the, it, it's a tough, tough choice for these uh, selections here. And, you know, I'm very biased towards Ty Law because, you know, <laughs> I saw most of his. And, you know, but you, you put up, did he have the numbers? Yes. Did he lead the league? Yes. Was he an all-pro? Yes. Was he a pro bowler? Yes. Did he make big plays and big games? Yes. Does he have the Super Bowl jewelry? You bet. He checks off every box. And yet... There's so many worthy guys that, you know, even I look at it and say, I can't make a big enough case to put Ty Law in ahead of some of these other guys. And it's, you know, this is, but the great part is, is this is what the Hall of Fame selection should be. And this is what makes it so compelling is that if you put everybody in, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares about it. But when you really define greatness and, and make it so that, you know, you've got, the debate about it and you've got players who are so deserving that's what keeps everybody tuned in and focused and and that's why the nfl is still king you said it and now let's focus on the Patriots side of the ball and an interesting historical parallel um about 13 years ago they faced the eagles in the super bowl and after that super bowl victory both offensive coordinator charlie weiss and defensive coordinator romeo cornell left the team for head coaching jobs and you fast forward to now. The Patriots find themselves in the exact same situation. Poise to lose both offensive and defensive coordinators to head coaching jobs after a rendezvous with the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Who are the top replacement candidates for Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia at the moment? Well, on the defensive side of the ball, it looks like it's going to be Brian Flores. He's the linebacker coach. He interviewed with Arizona actually twice for that head coaching position, despite not having any coordinator experience. He's the rising star of the Belichick system. He's coached all over that defensive side of the ball, um, linebackers, defensive line, secondary. So he's gotten the full immersion into that uh, Belichick method. And 
probably won't be a coordinator long with the interest in Arizona, as I mentioned, and how impressed they were with him despite not having been a coordinator in the NFL. Um, if he was going to be hired away, that would have left a, a huge get hole for New England to try to fill if Flores had ended up going to Arizona. And we might have seen um, you know, Belichick dipping into the college ranks, uh, trying to get his hands on somebody who he's worked with in the past, perhaps. But um, Flores seems like he's pretty much all set on the defensive side. On offense, they have Chad O'Shea, who is expected to slide up into that offensive coordinator role. Um, another one, younger um, younger coach. He's been in New England in the system for you know, 10, 15 years. Again, the full Belichick immersion. He has them in all different roles with all different players. You know, the, Belichick plans for this stuff just like he had McDaniels ready to go, just like he had Patricia ready to go a decade ago. He's ready for them uh, to step into those roles now. And we should see Chad O'Shea and Brian Flores and see if the Patriots uh, miss a beat or not next year with two new faces. Yes, which brings me to my follow-up question. Uh, the last time uh, this happened, obviously, I alluded to after Super Bowl 39 with Charlie Weiss, Romeo Cornell leaving. Since that time, the Patriots went more than a decade until they won their next Super Bowl. How could Surge and Patriots fans be going forward without Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia? I think this time Belichick's a little more prepared. Um, part of the problem, too, in the last time is not only did he lose... Charlie Weiss, but then shortly after that, Eric Mangini, who was stepping into that role as defensive coordinator, uh, quickly was gone in a matter of a, a two years and was off to the uh, New York Jets as their head coach. And so that was more of a, um, you know, jarring development for the Patriots. I, I, I still, you know, Belichick and Mangini, there's still a lot of friction there between the two. And of course, Mangini's the one that uh, started the whole spy gate um, by tipping off the league offices about the Patriots having um, a personnel person standing on the sideline videotaping the coach. So I think in this case, it's, it's more of they're covered on the coaching side. It's whether... Belichick, the general manager, is able to keep the influx of talent, which is a, a large part of the problem after their Super Bowl in 2004 was the talent on the defense wasn't there as the older players transitioned out. I would assume Belichick is more prepared this time as well. And when you look at the Eagles, I know they don't have Carson Wentz, but based on what they did to the Vikings, they should still be taken very seriously, even with Nick Foles. And since the Eagles run some very similar concepts on offense as the Chiefs did this year, do you think the Patriots defense rewatched their week one performance against the Chiefs this past week to gauge what sort of adjustments they have to make this time around? Oh, I think they definitely dialed that up as well as the um, even when the uh, Kansas City games prior to that, when Peterson was offensive coordinator over there as well. I think they know that it's it's one of those wonderful matchups where you have such a great offensive mind in Philadelphia and a, a great defensive mind here in New England. 
and you're getting to the, you know, these are their tendencies. I know that this person knows what my tendencies are. So I know what he knows and he knows what I know. And, you know, you've got that extra week where they're digging in even more. And it's, you know, it's going to be fascinating once that game starts to see the offensive brilliance of Doug Peterson and all those different alignments and all those different players on offense, just like the Andy Reid system and, and just like that Kansas City with Andy Reid with the whole offseason to prepare, had so many new wrinkles for the New England defense. Um, I'm expecting, you know, uh, Doug Peterson to have uh, a lot of new wrinkles for the Eagles, and that's going to make that even more exciting, uh, especially at the start of the game for the Super Bowl. It most certainly will. And how do you see the Patriots adjusting from week one to this Eagles offense? Well, the Patriots, I think, if I could draw a line in the sand, around week 16, they made a major adjustment on defense, and they they went back to, it's not really a 3-4 defense, but it's it's much closer to the 3-4 than they've been playing all year. And, and in that alignment, they moved their young defensive tackle, Malcolm Brown, into a more traditional nose tackle. They've been putting him right over the center. Um, and they've got big bodies in Ricky Jean-Francois and Lawrence Guy, three big, beefy, defensive tackle-type players right in the middle, and then their edge defenders. The, the addition of James Harrison has been huge, as in, uh, more as a 3-4 linebacker role that he's used to playing from Pittsburgh now, uh, part of that transition in the New England defense. And that lets them be a little more flexible with their best pass rusher, Trey Flowers, as well. So that change in the defense, that's allowed the Patriots to stop the run first and foremost. And when the Patriots stop the run and get teams into a more one-dimensional having to pass the ball, it gets them out of that, the, that trickery that especially the Eagles run off of the play action so, so well. And when the Patriots are able to stop the run, that's when their defense is able to clamp down. And so that new alignment since week 16 in Buffalo has been a huge, huge part of that defense being able to, um, you know, stop the opposing teams that they've been playing and really make an impact and allow that strong secondary of theirs to take over games in the second half like they did against Jacksonville, like they did against Tennessee in the playoffs, particularly in the second half of the games. Thank you for that analysis, Al. And now let's move on to the Eagles. And when you look at this Eagles team, the fact that they are in the Super Bowl and got in in such dominating fashion over the Vikings and their defense was has been phenomenal this postseason. The scary thing is they can only get better. They don't have Carson Wentz, who dare I say, if Tom Brady is this year's MVP like I he probably is, uh, Wentz is arguably 1A based on how he looked before he tore his uh, ACL and LCL. So win or lose. Do you think this is only the beginning of a long run of championship contention for the Eagles, especially if Carson Wentz not only fully recovers, but continues improving his game to higher levels? Oh, definitely. I mean, what the Eagles and Doug Peterson has done, particularly in this last quarter of the season in the playoffs, as far as I'm concerned, has vaulted him to uh, head coach of the year over Sean McVay, over everyone else, um, just because of that. He lost Carson Wentz. He lost all pro left tackle Jason Peters. He lost, you know, um, 
Darren Sproles at the beginning of the season as well. That's probably three of their most dynamic offensive players at three of their most important positions, quarterback, left tackle, and their all-purpose running back, receiving running back, which is so important in today's NFL. So to, to have all three of those dynamic players lost and still to put up that dominating performance like they did against Minnesota in the NFC Championship game was just mind-boggling. And and this team has, a, like you said, the defense is in position. The offense is only going to get better with a healthy Carson Wentz coming back next year. And I, I think they're right there to be a their legitimate contender, solid on both sides of the ball, strong coaching staff. It doesn't look like they have to worry about their coordinators going anywhere this season at least, so they'll bring everybody back as well. Jim Schwartz, Frank Reich for the offense, and be ready to just start churning out wins again next year with Carson Wentz. Absolutely. So, Eagles fans, uh, you have nothing to frown about if you lose because I definitely think this Eagles team will win a championship with Carson Wentz sometime this era. And I will continue to bet on that for as long as Carson Wentz plays football. And uh, when you look at the Eagles as well, one of the big storylines for me this week is the presence of both LeGarrette Blount and Chris Long, who were both with the Patriots last year, who were celebrating after Super Bowl 51 last year um, on their team. How valuable is it to have for the Eagles to have them? And how valuable can their advice for the Eagles on how to play the Patriots be? Well, I think everybody knows the game plan for the Patriots. You know, you pressure Brady, you have different looks in the in the secondary, you're switching between man and zone, you're disguising coverages, you're dropping defensive linemen back on occasion, bringing pressure from different places. The blueprint's there. The problem is, is even if you follow the blueprint to perfection, he still sometimes beats you, and that's just Tom Brady. So what LeGarrette Blunt and Chris Long need to bring is that 60-minute mentality that the Patriots have. And you look at them in Jacksonville last week. Jacksonville's ahead 20-10 to 10 in the fourth quarter. They recover a fumble. That's where a team has to know that, you know, it's time to be aggressive. It's time to put away the Patriots. And for as much criticism as Atlanta got for the Super Bowl, where, you know, most of the pundits said, well, you know, they really needed to, you know, run the ball more in that second half and take time off the clock. And, you know, I still think they didn't execute right, but they had the right idea. And when you get ahead of Tom Brady, there's not as not, you can't score enough points. You know, get into the 30s, get into the 40s if possible. You can't score enough points against the Patriots because that's what the Patriots are going to turn around and try to do to you when they've got the lead on you. And that's part of that success that they've had year in and year out is that mental toughness and that mental ability to win. And that's what Long needs to get across to his teammates and Blunt as well is the whole 60 minutes, don't ever take your foot off the pedal. And it's very difficult to do to have that mentality. And there's not a lot of teams that have had consistent against success against the Patriots unless they bring that same mentality, which is like why you see who had the most success consistently against Peyton Manning. Same mentality. So bring that mentality into the game, that John Harbaugh mentality, that Peyton Manning mentality. And that's the way you knock off the Patriots. 
that was the best point you brought up so far of the show, Hal. When I was watching that AFC Championship, there was a belief inside me that the Patriots would find some way to get it done. I would, I, I refused to believe Jacksonville would win until the clock hit zero. And yes, the Patriots proved me right yet again with another epic comeback in the playoffs. That third and 18 pass was vintage Brady. That never say die mentality, that desire and that refusal to lose is what makes him the greatest quarterback of all time. You cannot underestimate a guy like that no matter what. And that is exactly the mentality the Eagles need to have for 60 minutes this entire game. And let's break down this game. And when I look at the matchup between the Patriots offense against the Eagles defense, the matchup that could very well decide this game, uh, I see a mismatch in both teams' favor. Uh, the the match between the Patriots offensive line and the Eagles D line that overwhelmingly favors favors the Eagles, but the match between the Eagles linebackers and safeties against the Patriots skill position players, whether it's Gronk, Brandon Cooks, Danny Amendola, or James White, or Rex Burkhead, or Deion Lewis, that overwhelmingly favors the Patriots. What is the bigger mismatch: the Patriots offensive line against the Eagles D line, or the Pats skill position players against the Eagles linebackers and safeties? Well, based on pure talent, it's the Eagles' defensive line on the Patriots' offensive line. I mean, you look at the the talent that the Eagles run out on that defensive line. Brandon Graham, Vinnie Curry, Chris Long, Derek Barnett, Fletcher Cox, Timmy Jernigan. I mean, there is just so much talent there. And you look at the Patriots' side, and it's a bunch of, who are these guys? You know, Nate Solder, very good player, not considered an all-pro left tackle. Joe Tooney, Shaq Mason, David Andrews, a, a bunch of no-names in the middle of the, the offensive line. Over at right tackle, Marcus Cannon was a second-team All-Pro last year. He's lost for the season. His backup, Adrian Waddle, was playing great. He hasn't played in almost six weeks. So they've been going with Cameron Fleming, a third-string right tackle. They've cut him a couple of times. He was a sixth-round pick in 2014. And all he did last uh, last week against Jacksonville was put the prohibitive NFL Defensive Player of the Year, Calais Campbell, in the witness protection program. I didn't see him showing up on the stat sheet other than a few tackles in the running game. There was very little pressure from him. How do the Patriots do it? I have no idea. And, and that really should be the biggest mismatch. But somehow that coaching staff of the Patriots is probably going to turn that around. And so that puts the pressure on the Eagles defense there. And as you talked about with those linebackers, you know, Danelle Ellerby, not the greatest coverage guy. He's been banged up as well. Not sure if he's going to play. Um, you know, they have Nigel Bradham, who the Patriots know very well from his time in Buffalo as well. They feel like that is going to be a player that they've exploited in the past and can exploit again with the running backs um, coming out of the backfield and coverage there as well. So matchup-wise, I'm going to have to say the Patriots, as as ridiculous as it seems saying, you know, that, that with all that talent the Eagles have on the defensive line, they don't have a bigger mismatch. I think the Patriots have a chance with their running backs, especially coming out of the backfield, receiving um, with between Bradham, Ellerby, Michael Kendricks, and even if they have Najee Good uh, as well out there, who's basically a special teamer and was the uh, player who was turned around on that first drive by Minnesota that led to the touchdown, uh, the Patriots have a huge advantage there over those Eagles linebackers. And I think the secret to 
the Patriots' offensive line, making them uh, look better against uh, stud defensive linemen like Calais Campbell. I think that all comes down to Tom Brady's quick release at the end of the day. It does, and and you know it, it's funny with Brady because this year more than any other, he has been taking more time in the pocket at times. Um, they had a wonderful stat up on Pro Football Focus uh, this week about Tom Brady. Um, and they talked about, you know, with that quick release, two seconds or less, he has a 106 quarterback rating. Between two seconds and three seconds, his quarterback rating is two seconds to two and a half is almost 100. 2.6 seconds to three seconds is 114. So obviously you want to make him hold the ball, right? So three seconds or more, he holds the ball. His Where he's at his most vulnerable, he still has a 93 passer rating this season. So... <laughs> and 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 against what everybody believed wasn't going to be the game plan, he turned around and attacked those standout Jacksonville cornerbacks, A.J. Boye and Jalen Ramsey, repeatedly in the second half. Um, both gave up a big pass interference penalty of more than 30 yards. I think Boye allowed four receptions for 58 yards, Ramsey five for 72 Nobody saw that coming into the game, that Brady would pick on them and pick them apart like he did and leading them to victory in the second half without Rob Gronkowski. A testament to the genius that is the New England Patriots. And speaking of the Patriots, they have an intriguing task on defense. Who do you take away first, uh, Jay Ajayi or Zach Ertz, and why? I think Ertz is the the big stop for the Patriots, they're going to, they're going to be up and trying to stop the running game. There's no doubt about that. Um, they've had some ex- success against Ajayi when he was in Miami. Um, he really hasn't had a big game against the Patriots, but the Patriots can be vulnerable to tight ends at time, especially when they're in their zone defense. I'm hoping they come in with the plan. The, tight man coverage against these Eagles receivers and tight ends. And um, Zach Ertz, it's going to put a lot of pressure on strong safety Patrick Chung, who usually mans up man-to-man coverage on that tight end. So they're going to be putting a lot of work on Chung and a lot of expectation because Ertz may not be Rob Gronkowski, but he's that next level, and he's somebody that can extend drives on third down and be a big headache for a lot of defenses. That it will. And uh, even without Carson Wentz, I think the Eagles personally are fully capable of keeping this game close and competitive throughout because of their play in the trenches on both sides of the ball and their creativity on offense. Do you share this view, or do you think the Patriots finally win a Super Bowl by, like, say, two touchdowns or more? You know, I I keep looking at all the numbers and digging in, and and it really is going to come down to which version of of Nick Foles shows up because the Nick Foles against Minnesota, I I could easily see the Eagles winning by two touchdowns. Um, The Nick Foles against Atlanta, it's going to be a little tighter game. You know, the Nick Foles at the end of the season against Dallas and against the Raiders, well, the Patriots have got their blowout there. So it... It's very, very hard to forecast that, but yes, that Eagles offensive line is very, very strong. There's no doubt about that, and they give that team a chance 
because they can do anything with that offensive line, no matter how they run the ball, whatever running scheme. I've seen the Eagles where they, they, they're ineffective running the ball in the first half, and they completely switch up the scheme. And they say, fine, no problem. We can't run power inside. Let's start attacking the edges. And boom, big games everywhere. They're very versatile. They have a very strong, very smart offensive line. Um, Kelsey's been fantastic at the center position all season long for that group. They've also had, um, I mean, the whole right side of the line is just fantastic there. Certainly they miss Jason Peters on the left side, but veteran Steven Wisniewski has been very strong stepping in at the guard position as well. They can do so many different things. They pass protect well. They run block well. They can run block different schemes. That, that offensive line is part of a huge reason as to why they were able to survive the loss of so many key pieces on offense and still end up here in the Super Bowl. And, and I expect that'll keep them in the game um, in the Super Bowl here on Sunday. It all comes down to which version of Nick Foles shows up indeed. And what, whenever I watch a Super Bowl, I look for the unsung heroes. Like, for example, had the Falcons hung on and won last year, that unsung hero would easily have been Grady Jarrett. Who is your potential unsung hero for the Patriots in this game? And who is your potential unsung hero for the Eagles in this game? Uh, an unsung hero? I can't say James White because he did that last year for the Patriots. So why don't we say Rex Burkhead? Here's somebody yeah. that he's been injured at the end of the season, but he played such a key role most of the season. And I think a lot of people expected him to bounce off the injury report and have a big game in the AFC championship game. And he, I think he only played like three snaps and, and the one play he was out there, he took kind of a big hit and wasn't really a factor at all. But I could see them taking the wraps off of Burkhead and him having a big game, particularly splitting out uh, out of the backfield and matching up with linebackers in man and zone coverages with Philadelphia and, and making a couple of big plays that way for New England. Um, for the Eagles as well, um, I don't think, Nelson Aguilar is somebody that you would consider an unsung hero. Uh, any receiver coming into the Super Bowl with eight touchdown catches in the regular season. But, you know, moving him from the outside where he looked like a draft bust his first two seasons to inside at the slot this season has revitalized him and made him such a huge weapon uh, for the Eagles offense this year. And if there's a weakness for the Patriots, it may be on that covering those slot receivers. They do have, um, you know, Eric Rowe is a bigger, a bigger cornerback. Stephen Gilmore is a bigger cornerback. So whether they're able to move Malcolm Butler into the slot, he had a very tough game in the last Super Bowl against Atlanta when they moved him into the slot. Taylor Gabriel had a couple of big plays against the Patriots in that first half in coverage on Malcolm Butler as well. So the, the other slot receivers uh, on their roster are on injured reserve. Jonathan Jones, an undrafted free agent out of um, Auburn, had a, had a great year this year in limited time playing in the slot. So he's on injured reserve. So the Patriots, that might be a weak point. And Nelson Aguilar may be in position to, to rack up some big plays, uh, making some uh, catches out of the slot for the Eagles as well. 
Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, Patriots and NFL writer for FullPressCoverage.com. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, um, your contributions to our program this 2017 NFL season have been invaluable. You are a guest that keeps me honest and on my toes all week long, and we definitely hope to share this same pleasure with you for the 2018 season and even before then. David, I am looking forward to it. It is always a pleasure being uh, on here with you. And as much as I keep you on your toes, you keep me on my toes twice as much with your encyclopedia knowledge and understanding of the game as well. And I'm looking forward to it to a great Super Bowl here coming up on Sunday and another exciting offseason in the NFL where there really is no offseason. It just keeps going and going whether there's games or not. I don't even like to call it an offseason. Um, uh, uh, my good friend C. Salami of footballguys.com and 104.3 KKFN Radio in Denver likes to call it the non-playing season. So I think I would rather use that term personally because, like I said, um, we are going to be talking here again next week, and uh, just a couple weeks later will be the NFL Scouting Combine, and then two weeks later will be free agency. The, 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 the merry-go-round will keep spinning well after the Super Bowl and shortly after the Super Bowl. And Hal, before we let you go, let's make our final score prediction and analysis of Super Bowl 52. Who do you got? Well, like I said before, it, it's all coming down to, you know, Nick Foles and, you know, to, to paraphrase the, the poet of our generation, Eminem, you know, will the real Nick Foles please stand up? I, I just can't see him breaking down a Bill Belichick defense uh, like he did. I can't see him putting up another huge game in consecutive weeks. Um, you know, backup quarterbacks usually regress to the mean at some point. So I think the Eagles, they have the defense, they have the offense. I think it's going to come down to very similar to Jacksonville in the AFC championship game. It, they'll be able to hold the Patriots down for a while. But how long can they continue to do that? And how many points can the offense put up? Because if they're only scoring 20 points, it's not going to be enough. That magic number is going to be 27, 30, 34, somewhere in that range in order to beat the Patriots. And, you know, Tom Brady, 40-year-old quarterback, just keeps doing it again and again and again. So I see a close game. Patriots pull it out in the second half of the game as well. Uh, Rob Gronkowski with a big game against those Eagles zone coverages and matching up uh, with Malcolm Jenkins at strong safety as well, which should be a great battle throughout the game. And Patriots pull it out 27-20 to 20 over the Eagles in Super Bowl 52. I completely agree with everything you said, except a slight difference in my final score prediction. I like the Patriots 28-20. to 20. And that concludes our final game preview of the 2017 NFL season here on Sports Crunch. But as they say, like Hal just said, there is no offseason in the National Football League. We will do a Super Bowl recap and breakdown of the 2017 season, plus a look ahead to the 2018 season here next week. And we will return shortly after that with our annual Dash to the Draft series and a free agency preview, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive, including all those interviews I conducted at the Senior Bowl last week, as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And once again, that is Crunch with a K. 
And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal Bent. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromwell saying so long, and of course, stay awesome. Enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody. <laughs>